0: That's who. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group line. I'm glad he's back here. PFF, he's one of the big hitters with pro football focus and I'm sure has a lot to talk about given the draft, the offseason, and where we're going right now in preparation for the 2023 NFL season. And the schedule release, by the way, coming out on the 11th. Sam Monson of PFF is with us. Welcome back to the show here in Indy. Sam, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? Ah, fantastic. Um, we're wait and see process here because we finally saw the Colts decide to go to the direction that many had thought they should have gone a couple of years prior with a rookie quarterback and really starting new at that position. But I did want to get your thoughts on Anthony Richardson and what you believe is going to be both the short term that I mentioned leading in and the long term future for this quarterback here in Indy.
2: Yeah, I mean, I like Anthony Richardson as a prospect. He's an intriguing player, obviously, because he's such a a unique proposition. You're talking about literally the most athletic quarterback to ever enter the NFL when you factor in his size, how fast he is, his arm talent, all those kinds of things. Um, But he's got an incredibly small sample size of play at the college level. The play itself, you know, wasn't amazing at the college level. And really, it's a case of what we can turn this guy into over the next couple of years, not necessarily what he is right now. And that's where I I love the fit um, to the Colts, because they've kind of just run this game plan, or at least Shane Steichen has with uh, Philadelphia. They've, They've seen what can happen if you run an offense that leans on the running ability of a quarterback, that leans on the run game generally, and brings that guy along as a passer over a two or three year period.
0: It's a Sam Bonson, a pro football focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Yeah, we have mentioned this, too, that you wanted what was ideal for the first-time head coach in Shane Steichen. And I'm curious because he's had success obviously with Jalen Hurts, obviously with Justin Herbert. You go all the way back to Phillip Rivers with the Chargers where he has worked with guys uh, of differences as far as quarterbacks are concerned, but it all kind of led down the path to being highly productive. Do you think at all we're putting too much on what we believe that he can do and do sooner rather than later with a guy that's only played in 13 collegiate games at quarterback?
2: Yeah, I, it's not going to look the way it looked for you know those other guys like Phillip Rivers and, and players like that. It's going to need to look like it looked with Jalen Hurts, where it's probably going to be pretty ugly from a passing point of view for the first year. Um, but critically, if you lean on that rushing ability, if you lean on the run game generally, you can prompt that up and it can be viable for the first year and get the guy reps, which is the important part. One of the problems at the moment – with drafting quarterbacks uh, low on experience or guys that need playing time is if they're a long way off the pace, there's almost it's very difficult to get them up to speed because you don't get them game time because you can't put them out there because they can't play yet. Um, but the only way of getting them up to speed largely is to get them live reps and get them real game time. The offense that the Eagles ran for Jalen For a couple of years, the offense that the Bears ran last year for Justin Fields. These are systems, these are ways of getting these guys live reps and surviving through a period of struggling as a passer. And that's, I think, what it's going to need to look like for Richardson. He's not going to be a good passer year one, I wouldn't have thought. That would be extremely unlikely. It would be a huge development out of nowhere but he can execute a viable offense and develop in year one as a passer. And maybe year two or year three is when we start to see where his ceiling actually ends up being.
0: Hey, Sam, I was going to ask you this too, because a lot of people have said exactly, or at least phrased it in similar fashion as you just did, as far as his passing capabilities in year one. And then it's always, well, here's what he can do offensively with his legs that others can't. And while, I would agree that's part of the expectation or part of the package. Don't you have to be a little bit careful with somebody with that level of inexperience running around and taking hit after hit, even though, you know, he's six four and 244 and put together like crazy. I mean, you have to err on the side of caution with that, probably more so, don't you, than what you expect out of him passing-wise?
2: Well, I think it needs to be – in a structure, you know, it needs to be a designed part of your offense and it needs to come with some caveats. You know, he has to understand that sometimes he needs to protect himself, but I do think that there's um, less of a concern with that for a guy that is that kind of size and and that gifted. I mean, we've seen Josh Allen throw himself around recklessly for the first few years of his career. And now Josh Allen is talking about, you know, he's going to need to change the way he plays now not necessarily for those first couple of years where he was young you know durable he could throw himself around he was big but he knows that if he wants to play in the NFL for 10-15 years he's going to need to adjust that play style and, and avoid taking some hits so I think for the first couple of years Richardson is going to need to learn lean into that and to take advantage of the gifts while he has them but then over the course of his career he's going to have to reinvent himself and that isn't unique to him that's something that every quarterback has to do. Um, Tom Brady, you know, reinvented himself three or four times over the course of his career. Obviously it was never from a running quarterback to a, a pocket passer, but he had to change the way he played the game several times over because the NFL adjusts to you. And you know, that's just part I think of being an NFL quarterback now.
0: Yeah, it's funny too, and Sam Hansen a pro football focus on the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. I brought this up well before Andrew Luck decided to hang it up there was a point in time, Sam, here where it was his signature. It was called extending the play and everybody loved it and he did it constantly, but it also came at the expense of him taking hit after hit and there became a moment where all of a sudden it wasn't good any longer. His signature wasn't utilized any longer. We saw what happened at the end of his career. So I mean, around here, I think everybody pretty much has been used to the fact that at some point there is a shelf life on the amount of running around and hits you can take. Where do you think we are with that right now? You mentioned Josh Allen. You know, we've seen Russell Wilson go through this now as well. We'll watch Jalen Hurts go through it in Philadelphia. What do you think the shelf life of a mobile quarter Back where that is a, a really big part of his game, and he takes all those hits. How many years do you give it now compared to what we might have back in the day?
2: I think it just depends how lucky that guy gets. You know, the, the problem with running around and exposing yourself to hits is you run the risk of injury in any given hit. And, you know, sometimes you're going to come away completely unscathed, and there's no problem whatsoever, and then you get one unlucky hit, and that's going to be something that stays with you for – a period of time, whether it's next year, whether it's the rest of your career. So I think it's really just luck. But the problem being, the more of those hits you expose yourself to, the more that chance increases that you're going to do some long-term or lasting damage.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it, it's just something that at the moment, man, it can look so good, Sam. It can, but it has a lasting effect, and it seemingly always does. When you look at the AFC South, already established and running, and not literally, but figuratively here in Jacksonville is Trevor Lawrence, but you're looking at the future, C.J. Stroud in Houston, more than likely here relatively soon. Uh, you're going to get Will Levis in Tennessee, and obviously here with Anthony Richardson. If you're going to fare a guess in the AFC FC South uh, years further down the road, who is going to be the better quarterback of the four that I previously mentioned?
2: I mean, I think right now, Trevor Lawrence is the, the clear sort of front runner of that group. He, I think broke out last season after getting freed from the, the urban Meyer nightmare that was in Jacksonville. And he looks like he's ready to elevate his game and beyond, you know, the top tier echelon of quarterbacks in the NFL the other guys—that's what they're chasing. You know that—that's a guy that's sort of a little bit ahead, that's further along the pathway that they're going to need to be on, and it's up to those other three to try and you
0: know join him on that kind of uh, path. Yeah, I just—I it, it, think this is going to be really entertaining. And believe me, we've been without a lot of entertainment in that capacity within the AFC South for a while. So this is, this is going to be really entertaining to see where the youthfulness of these quarterbacks, these four and these teams, end up going sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah, it's it's in one division what we've just sort of just seen um, happen in the AFC generally, or even in the NFL, with this changing of the guard and this development of the next wave of quarterbacks, Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, all these guys coming in within a couple of years of each other and developing at the same time. Well, the, the AFC South is a division of that happening right now. So, yeah, it's going to be uh, one of the more interesting divisions to watch because of that.
0: That's uh, no doubt about that. Sam Monson of PFFs on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, we'll we get off the draft here and kind of move forward a little bit after this question. What, what did you like the most? What team? I mean, was it a team like Houston that really put a lot on the line? Got C.J. Stroud, got Will Anderson. What team did you like the most during work in the draft here moving forward?
2: I think there were a lot of teams that drafted really well. Really the theme with this draft seemed to be how many teams you know, did well. I don't know if, if the NFL generally is getting better at drafting or you know, if there were fewer teams that kind of do just complete outlier things and go completely against the grain of, of what people expect. But this felt like a draft where a lot of teams came out of it with good grades or, or sort of good performances. They had a coherent strategy from top to bottom. So I think you could – you Know, pick any one of half a dozen teams who had really good drafts. The Colts were definitely one of them. Pittsburgh's draft, I think, was fantastic in a very different way, sort of halting the slide of a, a few uh, players over the course of the draft and getting what looks like really good value because of it. But uh, the theme of this draft was, you know, in not a tremendously strong draft in terms of overall talent level, teams seemed to maximize what was there.
0: Yeah. It's funny. I said this, Sam, around here, as far as the Colts draft was concerned, I think the only thing that if I really looked at it where you could be critical about it is they went out and got exactly what you felt they should go out and get in that draft. But the consistent trading down, I mean, the value that they put in multi above multi fifth rounders, that might be the only way to look at it where you could be critical because really – The way you look at it across the board, Chris Ballard and the Colts did exactly what they needed to do at the positions they needed to fill.
2: Yeah, and I think the trading down thing in itself isn't bad business strategy. In fact, I think it's a good way of playing the draft, that particularly when you're shooting at, uh, you know, athletic uh, talents, guys that are incredibly uh, talented physically. The more lottery tickets you buy, the better your chances are of hitting. Like The, the more of these opportunities the Colts give themselves, the better the chances are that a few of these guys are going to stick.
0: What do you think Calvin Ridley's going to look like in Jacksonville coming off that missed season?
2: I think he'll look good. I mean, Calvin Ridley's one of the better route runners in the NFL. He's in his prime in terms of age. I don't imagine a year off is going to have done him much harm. I think he'll hit the ground running and be a, a really good addition to that offense.
0: Now, we talked about this last year, too, Sam. You saw what Jacksonville did. Jacksonville went out and paid a lot of money. This was the year before last in the free agency window to Christian Kirk. And a lot of people looked down on that. And then you look at the season that they had, and then people kind of open their eyes a little bit to, all right, you got to give your quarterback as many weapons as possible. I'm not suggesting that that teams in the future are going to do exactly what they did the year before last, but did that open eyes to other teams on exactly how much you need at the skill positions to get over, even if you do have a top shelf quarterback? I mean, I
2: think that's, the way the league has been trending for a while now in several different instances. We've seen teams that have had one elite receiver and it hasn't been enough. We've seen the more resources you put into a receiving core or weaponry for a quarterback, the better things tend to get. So I think we're in this world now, particularly in the AFC where it feels like an arms race every offseason for teams trying to contend that it's not going away. We're going to see these teams keep loading up and keep assembling a bigger and bigger uh, array of talent for their quarterbacks.
0: And what's funny about that is around here, we just haven't been used to it. Now, we've been shaking our fists, Sam, about it and saying, hey, you know, get on board. And it's been kind of kicking and screaming at times, it seems, with Chris Ballard. But I think finally that recognition is certainly there. The one thing I wanted to bring up was the Colts offensive line of a year ago was was bad. And they have made no changes. Uh, They're going to bring back – Bernard Ryman, who's going to be in year number two on the left side at left tackle, we'll find out what they do at right guard. But for the most part, it's the same. You get Quentin Nelson, you get Ryan Kelly, you get Braden Smith. Is there reason to believe with the mobility and the athleticism of once he's out there and Anthony Richardson that that will make this offensive line better just with that? Or do they have bigger issues in your estimation?
3: Yeah, I
2: think tapping into that kind of um, Jalen Hurts type of offense, for want of a better description, will make the offensive line's job easier. It'll make life better for them. Simply having a quarterback that is going to be used as part of the run game will stress the defense and uh, help them execute blocks. I mean, part of the problem last year is they were blocking for a guy in Matt Ryan for the majority of the time who. I mean, couldn't move anymore, was really a statue back there, and that stressed everything out with that offensive line. So I think generally the line would be better moving on to any quarterback other than Matt Ryan, just any guy that can maximize that pocket a little bit, that can move around, that can buy them a little bit of uh, wiggle room, and then it'll, it'll probably get better again in going to the sort of extreme version of the offense that they're likely to be running this year, and I also think there's the chance that they should be better next year anyway, simply from the talent that they had. That's not a bad group. They went into last season expecting to be good on the offensive line, and the whole thing kind of fell apart.
0: Who do you think had the best offseason to this point?
2: Uh, I think there's a a number of teams that have had good off seasons. Um, You know, the 49ers, I think, have continued to have a a good off season, other than the fact that Brock Purdy is a a bit of a question mark with that injury. uh, Coming out of the NFC championship game, I think the Eagles did a really good job, given the potential that they had to lose players and to um, miss significant parts of that team from a year ago. I think they've done a good job backfilling and patching it back together again. And then I think the teams that have found answers at quarterback have almost universally done a pretty good job. There's very few teams that have a glaring question mark at the most important position.
0: Yeah, you um, take a a legitimate interest in the schedule coming out here later on this week. Is that something you guys look at?
2: Not as much as uh, as other people. Certainly, it's you know it's interesting to let you piece it all together and to sort of get a few insights. But generally speaking, given that we know who's being uh, who's playing who already the, the exact details of when it's happening on which day is not massively important i think at this point
0: But some of the uh, the numbers some of the things you look at this time of year at pff that maybe some some nfl fans in general would be interested in knowing about right now sam
2: yeah i mean we've we've reached the the point of the offseason where team building is kind of done obviously there's sort of free agents still around and, and guys that could be signed to uh, patched last-minute holes and all those kinds of things. But now is the off-season project time. It's just sort of deep diving into numbers that you think might be interesting or taking a look at something that you haven't been able to get around to during the season and all those kinds of things. So really anything is, is open for – analysis and discussion
0: at this point yeah so if you were a uh, a betting person right now how many do you think the colts put on the board this year and consider a year ago it was a circus 4 12 and 1 overall what do you think colts fans are looking at sam going into 2023 with a rookie quarterback and Alexis gardner menchu and some some good players at some interesting positions but certainly as it looks like not enough
2: yeah I think they'd probably win a couple more games than a year ago. Really, next season though, is all about laying foundations. You know it's, it's about getting an idea of what this thing is going to be able to look like with Anthony Richardson, a quarterback and building the team around him that can t- contend in a, a year's time. Um, but going to that kind of offense, you know, if he is able to execute it, if he is as, as impressive as a, an athletic talent as he looks, and, and that translates to the NFL. That's not easy for any team in the NFL to defend. I mean, those are that's going to give them a pretty high floor and make them difficult to beat every week.
0: Hey, Sam, does Shane Steichen translate to the positive as a head coach, much like we, we saw him do as an offensive coordinator?
2: Yeah, that's always, you know, the the first thing we get to find out when these guys take over that head job. A head coach is not necessarily just an extension of being an offense or a defensive coordinator, it's seven more jobs rolled on top of that, whether it's man motivating, whether it's, you know, running the organization, all those extra things that we don't necessarily see an absolute ton of. So there's no way of knowing really. He's obviously a good candidate in terms of what he's done already from his career, but now it's a different
0: gig. Sam Monson of PFF. You can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Still a lot of information from PFF over the course of the offseason. And we'll catch back up with you as we get closer to the season. Because as you know, it's going to be here sooner rather than later. But uh, it's great to have you back on here in Indianapolis, Sam. Thank you very much.
2: No problem. Take it easy, guys.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
0: On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, he is a friend of the show, Speedway President Doug Bowles, joining us. Are you staying busy?
4: I am staying busy, but I'm going to find a little place here at the Speedway to hide and listen to your Brian Adams conversation. I've never met him or talked to him, uh, but as you know, I'm a Brian Adams fan. I cannot wait uh, to hear what he has to say and can't wait for him to be here and uh... –
0: 17 days. No, it's going to be great. I've promised everybody that too, because sometimes you know how it is. I mean, you've done this, putting together these shows and, you know, you'll get people that are excited about it. You'll get people that go, Oh, you know, get a little bit younger. That's too old or whatever. He hits the right note in terms of a catalog that most know a lot of what he is about ready to, and will be singing and and really, it it hits the perfect note, I think, at Carb Day because it is it does kind of turn into a sing along, and that's exactly what it will coming up on the twenty sixth.
4: Yeah, I I certainly hope so. And, and you know, I've been surprised over the last few weeks since uh, since we announced it. You know, walking through the hardware store or the grocery store, somebody will tap me on the shoulder and say, "Hey, I can't wait for Carb Day." Uh, so that's that's been been gratifying because I know when we make these announcements, oftentimes, like you said, people are like, "Oh, that's too old. Who's that? Come yeah. on, get somebody different." And um, this is uh, this is why I'm kind of excited about And I'm actually I've been really uh, surprised at the at the relatively positive, uh, you know, people going out of their way to tell me how excited they are about Brian Adams. So that's
0: fantastic. I'm curious about this. When was the last time that it was? As overwhelming in positives as it has been so far for Brian Adams and Soul Asylum. because I'm assuming you probably don't have that very often because if there's one thing, there's always there's a couple of things always in May that there's an axe to grind about, and that would be one of them.
4: Yeah, that, that that's one of them. I mean, we do know when we make the announcement that it's going to be a challenge. We're going to make some people happy and some people aren't, and some people are going to be frustrated. and Say, well, why didn't you do X, Y, Z? Uh, honestly, I think the last time where I felt like there was a, a much more positive sentiment and people going out of their way to say it was Journey in 2016. Uh, I think I think Journey was the perfect uh, the perfect uh, act for yep. for that that event, and the, the crowd certainly showed it. and you know, we've had a lot of a lot of different ones since then. My favorite it was Sammy Hagar, and yeah. I know if I brought Sammy Hagar back, I'd probably get the same pushback. But um pretty excited about Brian Adams. I think people will have fun. I think it'll be a great way to kick off the weekend and um I'm looking forward to uh taking off my president hat and opening up uh Miller Light and hanging out in the crowd listening to some Brian Adams that afternoon.
0: Does uh, Sammy wanna come back? You think? Yeah. You know, I think he probably would. I come bet he back. would too. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a guy in town named
4: Andy Wilson who stays yep. in in contact with him quite a bit, and and he even said when he when he left here, he said, "Man, anytime you want me to come back, I'd love to come back." He's getting to the point I think where a lot of his touring is pretty much over. Um, so, you know, if we were going to do that, we'd have to get pretty far ahead of it. But he he was a great show, and our, our crowd loved it.
0: You know, the other part about it is too most of these these performers end up staying. Right, end up staying for the entire weekend is that what you're thinking? Because Perner told me a couple of weeks ago that he was staying for the weekend because I invited him down to the pre-race show because I thought really Tony Katz in the morning probably would really want to talk to Dave Perner, so I said, "Yeah, join us so you can do an interview with Tony Katz um, and, and me." But um, I would expect that Brad Adams probably stays as well for the excitement and the time alone, yep. and probably the two-seater ride. Right?
4: A lot of it depends on what their the tour schedule is, but yeah, a lot of times people. When they realize this is where they're coming, they're like, "Okay, I'm staying for the race, or at least for the beginning of it, to, to kind of get through the pomp and circumstance." I haven't heard whether or not uh, whether or not Brian's going to stay, but we obviously, if if they want a two-seater ride, or want to see the Yard of Bricks, or be part of the parade. I mean, there's a whole bunch of opportunities we can give them and and make them enjoy their time or help them to enjoy their time here in
0: Indianapolis. Yeah, Doug. To Doug Bolles, Speedway President's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. You know, I mentioned there's always a a couple of, of situations where there's a, an axe to grind. There's you know there's an angle. There's. A lot of criticism, and and one is obviously bringing back the whole blackout thing. And as I mentioned, I love radio. I'm going to be on the radio on race day. Um, This is what I do, so everybody knows that. And you know where I want everybody to go, and uh, hopefully that everybody goes there. I I do want to gather with that announcement yesterday, what has been uh, the the voices that you have heard? uh, What's been the feedback you've received so far with that?
4: Well, I mean when this happens every year, I mean we get the we get the feedback from from folks who don't understand the blackout and, and a in a lot of ways I get it. I mean we do live in a world where, you know, blackouts are not like they used to be. It used to be you think about an NFL, um, if it wasn't a sold out game in your market, uh it was either blacked out or some corporate citizen that'd step in and buy a bunch of tickets to make it to make it a, a sold out game so that it could be broadcast in the local market and then the NFL TV rights got to be such that, I mean, an NFL team's getting $300-plus plus million a year in just TV rights. So for them, I mean, the tickets are important still, but not the same. I mean, the biggest challenge for us, what makes our event what it is, is it's the world's largest single-day sporting event. And if the attendance in this event were to decline – That would be the beginning of it not being that, and that takes away some of the specialists. The most important part of our race isn't the 33 drivers. It's not the pre-race. It's the 300,000-plus people that sit in the grandstands. That is the most important part of this race, and it is why it is what it is. And we can debate, and there are people that can make a really solid debate that being live in this market could help Increase attendance. Get somebody that maybe never been before to watch and go. Wow! I want to go there. I mean, you can make a solid argument, and I could, you know, you could, you could convince me. You can also make a pretty solid argument that says if it's live in this market, people start saying, you know what? I'm not gonna, de- I'm not gonna go, and then that attendance starts to decline. We're not trying to sell sixty thousand tickets like a normal football stadium. We're trying to sell two hundred thirty five thousand tickets uh, in our venue, and that that revenue um, is important. But what's more important is having those bodies in there so that so that when people show up and see it on TV, they know that it is the spectacle that it is. And we've done, I think, the right thing in 2016. We made it. We lifted the blackout in this market. Actually, we we call it a delay, right? Because you can see it in this market. You just don't see it live. You get to see it that evening. Um, so we, we we lifted it in 2016. In 2020, when we couldn't have fans, there's obviously, you're going to make sure fans got have a chance to see it. So in 2021 we had 135,000 people in the venue and no no problem. We got to make sure that it's that people that would normally be here get a chance to see it. So it's a conversation we go through all the time, but the most important piece of this event are those those folks, those 300,000 plus people that gather here every day every every uh, Memorial Day Sunday and and right now just not comfortable that the TV piece uh, without it um, or with it being uh, not delayed here in this market uh, doesn't have a severe impact on that. I mean, look at sports across the board, look at our Brickyard 400, the Brickyard 400 was um, blacked out for a period of time. And then when it wasn't, uh, it declined. Now people are going to say, well, the NASCAR racing, what is good? And what I, I hear that. And, and all these things, there's there's never just one answer to them. Um, but right now uh, our policy has been, and will continue to be, if we can sell out the grandstands um, I'm happy to say, let's, let's,
0: turning on in this market uh, speedway president doug bowles on the andy moore automotive group hotline and again we'll get underway at 6 a.m coming up on race day as well for you and uh, me tony katz and a host of 1000s we'll have it for you on the radio beginning at 6 a.m and i get to sleep in the infield coming up off uh, after a jmv takeover which is really good too listen there is nothing more calming and soothing than sitting in my truck listening to music at 3 in the morning in the infield when there's really nothing going on yet leading up to race day morning. That's awesome.
4: Well, just don't tell me where your truck is because you won't be sleeping. Because my, my race day starts on Saturday morning, and I'm up all night. And if, I know, <laughs> if I know where your truck is, I'm going to come get you and put you on the golf cart, and we're going to go hang out at the, well, uh, with the campers and talk to our fans. And uh, there are a lot of people who stay up all night. And love it. Actually, we're getting the snake pit stage set up, and one of my favorite things to do is – I'll sort of sneak out the gate at 9 a. or at 9, which is right behind turn four, and wander out and in the dark when nobody knows who I am, no tie on, and just take it all in because it's spectacular to see how much fun people are having. Or walk through the neighborhood and you know people got their garage doors up and there people that are parking in their yard and just walk in and just sort of yeah. smile. Hey, can I can I borrow a coors light? I, I could use a beer about now. And then you turn in these great conversations about why people come to the Indy 500 every year. So. If you don't want to be kept awake all night, don't tell me where your truck is. No,
0: no, no, no. Yeah, I'm, um, that's why I got, I got to get one of those uh, those service stickers. They let me in at like 2 in the morning because I'm going in there to do a service. Actually, I'm going in there to fall asleep for like two hours. In the truck. <laughs> it's the awesome. So my my
4: problem my problem with it is I could probably sleep um, on yeah. the night before the race, but it would be just like you said. It would be a two, maybe a three-hour nap, and I think I'd feel worse waking up.
0: No, you would. And you're right
4: about and that. So you just yeah. got to you just got to plow through it, you know.
0: Yeah, you're you're right. I just um you know I go from 6 what I do on the night before for the JMV takeover on B105.7 is I go from 6 and I leave it up to people. I said if you guys keep calling with requests, I'll go as long as you want. And then last year, I think I ended up bailing at about 1.45 or 2 in the morning because I, kind of, I could kind of tell that things were slowing down. So was I. And I bailed about then and just uh, hopped in the truck and, and drove over there, got right in with the uh, yep. S sticker right there, the service sticker, and um, and uh, slept for a little bit, then went over and, and had a great pre-race show. So that that's kind of becoming my tradition right now, and I dig it.
4: Uh, it is it is kind of fun how we all have those little night before yeah. traditions where we park, what we do when we go in, and yours sounds like a fun one. Hey, I, I, and I won't. I'll let you sleep. You need your sleep. No, sleeping. you can come
0: on over too. I, I can I can sleep and drink and drink and sleep all that at the same time. Yeah, Doug Bowles joins us. Shaquille O'Neal is going to be a part of the the Snake Pit. Uh, how much of the weekend? How much of the race is he staying for? The entirety of the thing. Do you know?
4: So what, So where we are with him, and we, we've actually asked him to help participate in part of, part of pre-race. Um, last year, You know, we had Steve Aoki kind of helping in- intro the drivers. We'd love for Shaq to do that. Right. The challenge with him is he just doesn't know what the NBA schedule is going to look like and where he's going to be committed to. He knows he can do – the nice thing about the snake pit is it starts early enough. He goes on at 9 a.m. He knows he can do that and still make whatever commitment he might have to do related to basketball uh, later that afternoon. So we're just really kind of waiting to see what all, what all he's got on his schedule. And then, you know, hopefully we can get a way to get a way to keep him around longer.
0: I always ask you this, this time of year, I don't know how confident, how comfortable you are with it. Anybody else that uh, we're unaware of, you might have coming in for the weekend.
4: Yeah, we, we should have some pretty cool announcements coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Oh, you can't so make
0: them right here is what you're saying.
4: I wish I could make them right oh. now. In fact, I was talking to the team. I'm like, Hey, we got to start making these announcements. And, uh, uh the PR experts, uh, w- of which I am not, um, <laughs> want to wait a little bit longer as we get a little bit closer to the 500. Our focus really this weekend is let's just get through the GMR Grand Prix, stay focused on that, and then once uh, Saturday's checkered flag falls, we'll really start focusing on what's coming up for May, but uh, for the 500. Any any but hints? Really you gave like, me
0: hints last year, and I I kind of I was pretty close last year. You got any hints? Ah. Uh... Not any hints that I could give you that
4: wouldn't just give stuff away. I have to think about that. Maybe next time we talk, I'll come up with a better some. Who did you Who
0: did art. you have there last year? And I was pretty close at guessing it. Who was there last right. year? Do you remember?
4: Uh, uh, Top Gun. Um, yeah, yeah. Help me out.
0: Um, uh, he said, Brian. Brian I, I guess Brian. What's his name? And it wasn't. It was somebody. Yeah. That, it, yeah. yeah. It was. The, it was the other guy in Top oh, Gun. Oh yeah. Think. It was uh, my Miles. Miles teller oh, yeah, miles, miles teller, teller, teller was the actor yeah, thank yeah. You.
4: I, I can't believe I'm blanking on that so that's yeah right. that's, that that so that one, we did talk about that and you, you were close on on that one
0: that's close really close yeah. Doug Bowles with us All right. so you, you heard this during the F1 race pre-race show with LL Cool J <laughs> clearly he had no idea he has no idea the ramifications of making such a statement um did we get a cease and desist letter sent to F1 here what what do we do about that
4: well actually if this started long before long before this past weekend it, it and it really sort of started we started noticing it mostly at vegas as they were starting to announce the new vegas race and they were trying to uh call it the greatest spectacle in motorsport or the greatest motorsport spectacle or something like that that was just pretty darn close to our to our ip rights and uh we actually felt like the best thing to do was to reach out more in a friendly capacity, not have a, lot, a letter from a lawyer, but uh, a phone call and then a letter that said, hey, this is clearly our mark. This is um, our goodwill that we've created over uh, over a century. We're, we're excited that you're racing in this country. We're excited that you're in Vegas. But you ought to build your own equity and not steal ours. Um, and, uh, they agreed that that was, that was fair and that they w- wouldn't use anything in, in terms of those marks. So I don't know yet. Um, we're still, still trying to figure out this past weekend because, because Liberty and F1 really hadn't used it. It just was in that comment that L, L- Cool J made yeah. and, and
0: so uh, he didn't, well, he don't think he did that on his own though, right?
4: Well, uh, clearly m- most celebrities, when they show up somewhere and have talking points, they haven't probably created them on there, and somebody's created it for them. So the right. question is, did, did the racetrack or, or the race event promoters or somebody do it, or did his staffer who said, hey, we have 30 seconds to make some comments, and they did a bunch of research and then just gave them comments and, without really understanding it. So that's what we're trying to dig into. I mean, that that would be an, an easy mistake to uh, to make. Um, but clearly it's our marks, and, and uh, we're, uh, we're going to defend them. And for those folks that don't really follow IP rights – I mean, in order to defend your IP rights, you, you have to vigorously defend them all the time. So that's why a lot of times you see the, you know, the poor bar owner who has an a NFL game and he's uh, promoting it for charity and then they get shut down. It's right. not because the NFL doesn't want to help with charities or it's not the fact that the NFL is not excited that somebody's hosting the party. It's the fact that in order to protect your marks, you, you can't play favoritism with them. You, know, you could license somebody to do it. You could do, even do a, a zero-fee license. But you can't just let somebody use it without it, and so you have to protect it. So that's why, you know, we'll we'll do everything we can to protect our marks.
0: You think they did that on purpose? You know, look, I, I want to.
4: I'm, I'm a Hoosier. I'm. A, I just. I, I really want to believe everybody's doing the right thing and not trying to trying to um, take advantage of somebody. Clearly, I think they were trying to in Vegas, and when they said they'd stop, I believe that they'll stop, and I I, I want to hope and I want to believe that this was just some. Somebody that just made a mistake and wasn't really uh, done on purpose, so we'll, we're still trying to look into it and we'll we'll figure that out. Well, really you,
0: you take the high road brilliantly. Well done.
4: Well, I mean, you you know, one one thing we don't have a lot of in this in this world <laughs> anymore is is grace and perspective, right? You're I mean, right you about really that. Yes, you're out. right. You have to step out from what you're looking at. And you have to go. Okay, I see ten percent of the of the issues. So I'm going to stand back so that I can get a bigger perspective. And then look, we all make mistakes. We all do things wrong. We all make decisions that some people don't understand why we make them and you just you just gotta if you lead your life with a little bit of grace and perspective um the world's a better place
0: there's a picture of you next to grace and perspective and you're wearing that suit a suit how many suits do you have
4: (laughs) way too many it's funny you're the second person to ask me that today really who was the Um, first was was this person cool We were un- not as cool as you are. I mean, but that's not you know, that's yeah. um we were unveiling the the pace car um earlier today and a and a longtime journalist, yeah. um, friend, good good guy, car guy, he he said, Hey, I was having dinner with somebody and we were wondering how how many suits do you have and how did you get roped into having to wear a suit all the time? I said, Really, the only commitment I made is I would wear a tie every day um because it makes me think about I'm. I put the tie on in the morning, and I think I'm not representing me. I'm representing the state of Indiana, the city of Indianapolis. Right now, I represent Roger Penske. I mean, I represent all of us because I've been given this platform of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the Indy 500. So that tie reminds me, right, that everything you're doing uh, has an impact um, well beyond where you are. And at some point in time, it morphed into a tie with a blue suit. So if you look back in my early days as president, there's a lot of there's a, there's some grays and there's some charcoal blacks and you know that kind of thing. Right. And, and somehow. It's probably 25 blue suits, honestly.
0: (laughs) Well done. All right, my friend. I appreciate you coming on and explaining all of this, and uh, we'll do it again. Enjoy the Grand Prix coming up on Saturday, and we'll do it again a couple more times before the greatest spectacle in racing comes up.
4: Pass along along a hello to Brian Adams. I will. Tell him that I'll I'll be the crazy guy in the tie who can't wait to say hello to him uh, when I get a chance to meet him and thank him for being part of Carve. It It is party day here. Uh, It is party day here in central Indiana, and and I'm going to be drinking some Miller Lite, singing along, and having a great time with the fans.
0: Doug, thank you very much. I'll do just that. appreciate you. All right.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
0: Joining us now the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. He's one of my favorites, certainly. And, you know, in terms of Carb Day performances, I have told you this. This is going to be the one coming up on May the 26th at an IMS. Tickets available, IMS.com. Brian Adams is the headliner along with Soul Asylum. And Brian is kind enough to join us now in the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Brian, thank you for the time. How are you? i'm good fantastic so i'm curious about carb day when did you think and what did you think about all right carb day indianapolis weekend of the indianapolis 500 the greatest spectacle in racing when this possibility was brought to your attention
3: i thought it was cool and uh the only thing i wasn't quite sure about was what carb day meant i thought maybe i had to go and bulk up on pasta before i left but um it turns out that it's an abbreviation for carburetor so now i understand
0: yeah now how much did you know prior to about the indianapolis 500 brian
3: well i mean it's 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 famous isn't it i mean it's a race that's been going on for years and um i mean it's i don't know how famous it is in canada where i'm where i am right now but you know of course we've heard of it everyone's heard of it
0: yeah, there's no doubt. Well, James Hinchcliffe is, is one of the more uh, familiar Canadians who has raced in there and had a great deal of success in IndyCar, and certainly the Indy 500 of in the past is uh, is uh, notable in Canada as well. But, yeah, it's uh, global. It is fantastic. And Carb Day has always been just such a great party, and they bring in bands. But for you being on tour right now, did it fit like a glove having this stop at Indianapolis as it turned out? I mean, we sort of –
3: Grab the gigs when we get them, you know, and the the big tour starts in the USA on uh, a few like a week or so after that in in America. So th- then we have a t- we have a two month tour, which brings us through June, you know, June and July. Um, so th- you're, this is kind of the kickoff. Now I'm assuming, and Brian Adams joins
0: us on the Eddie Moore Automotive Group Potline. Are they going to have you in a car? Because they have these two seaters where somebody like Mario Andretti or, you know, a former winner will take you around the track. Are there any plans uh, on you doing
3: that? There hasn't been any talk of it, but I mean that'd be awesome.
0: No, no, I I guarantee you this. I guarantee our friends out at IMS will have you in the two-seater, and I also guarantee that you will love being in the two-seater because it, it is something I mean, you see the place and it's so massive, Brian. And it is so massive when you're doing the show out there you'll notice just how huge the place is and then <laughs> when you're going that fast it is absolutely amazing to go around I'll that
3: bring- track. I'll bring an extra pair of pants.
0: Yeah, you may have to. Um, I wasn't going to say anything, but you may have to bring an extra pair of pants. So you're getting ready to embark on on a tour of the United States, and I, I saw all the dates in which you're going to do that. And uh, in terms of touring, you've been doing this for such a long time. Is it still as enjoyable for you now as it was, let's just say, back in the late 70s and especially in the mid-80s when you really started to break? It's
3: better because there's more songs to play. Um, you know, back in the early days, I was making it up as I went along. Now I just look forward to each song as it comes. It's it's a really it's an exciting show.
0: Here's what I like about it, and I guess this is kind of a double-edged sword, if you will. But you know, the the technology of today it, it allows so many different generations to enjoy your music like it was yesterday. i give you a great example. Like, I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s. I loved your music then. But if you were going to say, hey, you know, go back to the 50s and listen to all this, I would have struggled with it then because of the lack of technology. But now, I mean, you get introduced every day to a new generation of those that can enjoy your music, even though, you know, maybe it was produced back in the 1980s. Is that a good advantage for you as far as, you know, continuing to create that fan base is concerned? Well, you've just sold me on it. (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying because I hear. <laughs> hey Brian, man, I hear so many times where it can be such a pain. I mean, just a pain in the ass to
3: have you know. I mean, just the way the things go right now with no, all that not, is. It's yeah. not a pain in the ass. It's. I mean, even even back when we were you know playing in America in the '90s and the 2000s, <clears throat> there was there was uh, a new set of fans coming. I mean, it it just happens. I mean, obviously it'd be nicer um, if if the new music was getting played as much, but you know you, you have to make way for the youngsters.
0: Yeah. Do, do you ever get tired at all of playing the older no. music
3: no i call it no, vintage I do, I do not because because what happens when, and you'll probably see this if you come to the show is everybody sings the songs yeah see so it just it just like it's just like playing them again for the first time
0: he is Brian Adams who joins us. Carb Day, May 26th. Tickets available right now, ims.com. You just hit the point that I make about Carb Days, especially, because you're gonna have such a massive crowd out there, and it is important for that crowd, I think, to know basically the catalog of music. And you bring that catalog of music, you know, whether it's you know, reckless or whatever, uh, We're from the past. It. Yeah, that you bring that catalog and everybody knows every word. And that not only is exciting for the the crowd and for you up on stage, but that has to be tremendously gratifying to be and do this and have everybody know your music like that for such a long time.
3: For sure, and that's one of the things that's gratifying about being a songwriter is, is, and that's why I got into it. It was is the return that you get from having people sing your music. And, you know, even when it was in the early days, starting out, and people, you start seeing people start mouthing the words. It's like, oh wow, that person knows the song. And so now, when you go out and play, some of these songs are just, I mean, they're just part of the lexicon of music and pop music. So it's it's really it's great.
0: When you look back, and Brian Adams joins us at, let's just say the 80s, for example, right now, is there, I know Reckless was just huge, but is there a favorite album, a favorite song that you enjoy doing maybe more than others in this catalog?
3: Well, I don't know if I should say so. Well, I'm I'm, just curious. It's it's easier to just to pick a hit and go, yeah, that one. But to, to be fair, I mean, I've got a new album called So Happy It Hurts, and I love playing that. Yeah. Yeah, and what, what should people understand
0: about So Happy It Hurts if they're being introduced to it as a part of this tour or, for example, on the 26th over at Carb Day?
3: It's just a really uplifting, positive song. I mean, it was something I wrote after coming out of that that. You know, dreaded lockdown. I wanted to make some optimistic music, and that's what this is about. So, Brian Adams, who
0: joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, Uh, last week, and this goes back a year for me, uh, I saw Gordon Lightfoot a year ago almost to the date uh, here locally in central Indiana and thought it was so incredibly special and then you fast forward to last week, Gordon Lightfoot passed away at the age of 84. He's a fellow Canadian like you and I know he was somebody that meant a great deal to you as well. What was that relationship like between you and Gordon Lightfoot?
3: Well, you know first of all, both musicians, both guitar players, both songwriters and and I was I was already a fan when I first met Gordon. I mean, Gordon had had, you know, a number of years before me. Um, so we obviously got to know each other, and I would go see his show, and he came to see mine, and we became friends. And so last week when he passed away, I lost a friend, and it's, it was super sad.
0: When I saw him a year ago, he was 83, and mm-hmm. I thought at the time that this is – it was as good as it would have been in 84, in 74. See, you know, the it thing was, is, you're talking
3: uh, about songs. His yeah. songs were, were beautiful, and it's the music that lives on. And then that's what we're going to do when we come back to Carb Day. Is we're going to bring back the music.
0: Yeah, and see, that's what's that's what's special about it, too. And you being a, a singer songwriter and, you know, he was just one of the more incredible songwriters in the history of music, just in, in general terms. You, you take a piece away growing up, enjoying his music and then getting to, to know him. You take a piece away from what he did at all. Not only when, you know, obviously you were first starting out, but maybe moving forward even from here.
3: I think what you do is you, you cherish your friends and your friendships and the people that you know that you love and yeah. that are around you and uh you just you know <laughs> I wish I could turn back the clock now cuz I wish I'd gone to visit him earlier or something you know cuz uh it's gone it's gone now
0: Yeah so, it's um it, it, he was amazing it was he was 83 and it was about I'm
3: the, I'm, I'm up here in Vancouver at the moment I'm uh, talking to you um I'm looking after my mother who's 95 Wow
0: my mom Brian is 77 right now wow. and my mother gotcha. lives alone too so yeah it, um, it it's it, I mean it's something you get a you get flushed with memories every single time you uh you visit and take care of your mom that's that's exactly if what I happens don't, she me.
3: reminds me <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i i um we're relatable here because i call my mom and i talk about it on my radio show all the time i call her every single night and normally it's about 30 minutes of her complaining about a lot of things but it's 30 minutes brian and it's daily and that's what's special about it yep <clears throat> And you know, cherish no matter, it, man. Cherish yeah, it. You do. It's Brian Adams coming at you on May the twenty-sixth. at IMS tickets available. IMS.com. dot com. Let's go back to the eighties. Your relationship with Jim Valance, uh the importance of that, writing songs. What what made that combination so special for such a long time, Brian?
3: Well, uh, we just like writing music together, and and we still do. And in fact, we last. Uh, last thing we did was a Broadway musical. We wrote Pretty Woman the Musical. Mm. And uh, so, I mean, it's just a couple of songwriters, you know, <laughs> would like to share stories as well.
0: Well, I mean, and I would assume, I don't know, obviously, but I would assume it takes a, like I'm a sports talk show host here, and you kind of get to know, you know, connections between players and coaches that that go next level because the relationship just connects. It fits. Was that something that you guys knew Early in your relationship, that this had a a a real way to work out at a very high level.
3: Well, it beat washing dishes, which was the alternative.
0: (laughs) No, listen, man, you would have found your path regardless. I mean, you're too (laughs) talented not to find the path. But no, seriously, that that relationship—it's it's hard. I am actually serious.
3: The 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 the, uh, it was about you know paying the rent, and uh, that's what I'm grateful about. Is Making music, I've been able to pay my rent. What
0: was the first song, song, if you will, where you knew, yep, uh, we're on the path here. This is this has got a well, lot of length. we knew it, it from
3: day one. We knew from the moment we sat down together that it was, we were going to do something. I mean, whether we would be successful of it, we weren't sure, but at least we liked it, and that was the starting point. And. So when it comes down to music, you have to like it first. <laughs> so we couldn't we couldn't fake it. Um, there was no way of like today where you can just put it in a computer and it'll AI you something. Uh, we we had to actually come up with ideas and and round out the arrangements and play all the instruments. And there was no band, no manager, nothing. So yeah, we were, we were just having fun. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I still like am, to tell By the way,
0: <laughs> well, and that's good too, man. You got to—I mean, that's—that's—we're we talking about Gordon Lightfoot. We we're talking about our, our mothers. I mean, you, you got to have fun until you're no longer. Okay? I mean, that's just the way I look at it. I—I I mean, life is not hassle-free, but I—I I try to live it as hassle-free as possible, and fun has to be a part of it, you know, job or otherwise. And I try very hard to do that. Sometimes you don't you know you don't make it but you know each and every night it's much like you when you get up on that stage you will on the 26th over at IMS I mean it's it's all about having the fun and then you know the crowd sees how much fun you're having man that's music and that's live music like that that's got to be special to you
3: you know there's a synergy that happens uh, on stage and you you have to build it up so uh I don't think, it, sometimes when you go out in a gig, you'll start out and it'll, it'll get going slowly, slowly, slowly. But by the halfway, t- you know, to the show, you know that it's, it's moving and it's all about the music. It's always about the songs. And, you know, you got to get, you know, you have to build it in the right way. I've done this a few times now. I've done a few gigs now. Now so you, yeah, you, you have. I, 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 I think I got figure it figured out.
0: <laughs> you, how many times, do you know how many times you've been to Indianapolis over the years? Do you remember? I don't,
3: but the last time was, I think, 19, 19-
0: No, it was not. Now you're here in the you're here a couple of times and here's what's funny about it, like I pride myself of because uh, I, I love your music. I, I have not only the sports talk show in the afternoons, but I have a a radio show where I kind of turn back the clock a little bit. I take nothing but requests from people for six hours and it's live music and it just kind of cool. yeah it, it is awesome and it's old school radio like that which we we don't see and you mentioned AI a little bit ago and that's a dirty dirty term to me. I don't want to hear anything about AI and i think what i've noticed brian is how much that that your music and others from that era that stands the test of time and how much people still enjoy that music along with the grassroots of what radio represented and i find that out every saturday night and it was special because i didn't know that existed until you do it and you do it and you see that there's a a great deal of of interest in it not you know, well, thank you. Yeah, music like you and uh, the 80s and, you know, playing live shows. And don't shows.
3: forget Soul Asylum are coming.
0: Yeah, well, I talked to Dave Perner two weeks ago, I think, and he was incredibly excited about playing alongside. Yeah, it's going to be a good That's night. It's so, uh, Brian Adams with us again, IMS.com for those tickets today. It's going to be a blast. Are you going to stay the weekend or, and watch the race, or are you out of here at some point? I think I'm going to stay a bit. I, you better. Yeah, you need to. I think. Yeah, so you get in that two seater and hang out and see something that you'll just—it's unbelievable the amount of people you'll see in that place on race day that Sunday. I mean, you I'm will. Looking
3: forward to it, man, in a big way. All
0: right, Brian Adams. Hey, one final thing. Uh, yeah. I think, um, as far as my audience is concerned, one of your one of your favorites of theirs is "Summer of '69." I'm sure you ask about this a great deal. Um, how'd that song? come about, and how was that relatable to you at the moment, and to you as you matured moving forward as a musician?
3: Oh, it's just a great song to play live. Uh, it always has been, and um, uh, you'll you'll see, you know, when we play it at, at the Carb Day, that I probably won't have to sing the song at all.
0: You just hold the microphone out, Let Central Indiana sing that bad boy for
3: you. Let it rip. (laughs)
0: That's Vancouver, British Columbia, which, by the way, I was there once coming back from Alaska. That's a great place to be right there, Brian. I can understand why you're there. Well, the sun is shining. Not bad. Not bad at all. All right, IMS, May the 26th. Brian Adams and Soul Asylum will be at show. Tickets available at IMS.com. He is Brian Adams. New album out, tour forthcoming, but May the 26th. You can all see him out at IMS. And hopefully we see you around. Two-seater, race day, something like that. Enjoy your time here in Indianapolis and have a great show coming up on May the 26th. And thank you very much for your time, Brian.
3: Thank you. It's so happy it
0: hurts. (laughs) It's Brian Adams on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian, thank you very much, man. I appreciate you. Me too, man. Thanks a lot. Take it easy, buddy. See you, buddy. Mm -hmm. It's uh, Brian Adams with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. That's good stuff.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
0: On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline, his name is Greg Rakestraw. He joins us now. Hello, Greg. Hello, sir. Hi. for my tardiness. Now, nah, that's okay. Give me a little storyline because I'm going to have Mitch Hannes on tomorrow, the head coach of the baseball squad over at Indiana State. Are they winners of 20 of 21? Am I right about that?
1: Yes, because they went 16 1 in April. So I did the game on Tuesday, and they won in Illinois. That makes it 17-1, and one and they swept Bradley. You are correct, sir. Your Indiana Central, Vincennes University, Indiana State math is correct. They are <laughs> 120 of their last 21.
0: It was you, Indy, when I was there. wasn't Indiana Central when I was there. How old do you think I am, dude?
1: It, I mean, it, it was you on the side of the library.
0: My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was you, Indy. They just didn't – I just got – I got rubbed out trying to take an algebra test back then, so that wasn't my.
1: I'm Mrs. Our water for turning you in like that. I can't believe. She's I know it.
0: Does. I know it. I'm much like D-Day in Animal House. I got an incomplete for that. She gave me gave me a little helper right there. Oh, it's just yeah, an incomplete. It's okay. 0.0. Yeah, it's just an incomplete. I can take that again. Everything's okay. It's all good. Um. Anyway, where 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 was I? Yeah, about this team. What stands out? to this Indiana State team, to where they have pushed this winning to 20 of 21 and obviously making a more than a ripple right now in the world of collegiate baseball to this point?
1: Pitching, defense, timely hitting. So they felt – I'm not sure they felt he was like a, a Sean Mania kid who is the only current Sycamore in Major League Baseball. There are several in the minors. He's the only current Major Leaguer. But Matt J. Sheck has been their Friday pitcher. And for those that don't follow college baseball, your Friday guy's your ace. That, that is your number one pitcher throwing the first game of conference play each and every week. I know they got a complete game, I think, to hitter from the number two pitcher uh, on Saturday, whose name escapes me. There's a young man named Lane Miller who has become their number three. From yeah, IU? He was yeah. He, correct. He was their graduate assistant. He was, he was an assistant coach who had a year left of eligibility. Before they played Purdue at the end of March, they decided to, to take him out of coaching and put him back he needed to burn an arm. He'd only been throwing batting practice. Um, he almost goes seven scoreless innings. And then he turns around and pitches five days later and nearly throws a complete game. Uh, if he got the win on Sunday, John, I think he's 6-0 and oh in seven starts. So they kind of found something of the miraculous in him. Then, last Tuesday, in 13 innings, they strike out 23 batters. They had a young man named Zach Davidson who had an immaculate inning. Nine pitches, nine strikes. He struck out eight guys, a facing 11 in, in long relief. So, they were, as of last Tuesday, they had the second-best fielding percentage in all of Division One. Keegan Watson made sports in the game that I called last week because he robbed a home run uh, off one of the batters of Illinois. So it's been timely hitting, but primarily pitching and defense that has put them over 30 wins. And legitimately, John, has them in the conversation. If they can win enough games the last couple of weeks, they might be hosting a regional in Terre Haute come the first weekend in, in June.
0: That's Greg Rakestraw with us. Lane Miller was a coaching assistant in throwing BP. Now he's 5-0. and oh and one of the more important pitchers in the past month for this baseball team. That's amazing.
1: That's, cor- that's correct. So he was a recruit um, along with Tommy Summer, that's now in the White Sox organization, my buddy Jurgen's son, uh, as well as my buddy Chris Walker's son, Justin, uh, who played at Indiana and in transferred to Purdue uh, to finish. But, yeah, he is five years removed, like a lot of these kids, are five and six years removed from high school because of the COVID year and things like that. He really, because of injuries, hadn't pitched that much and because of the COVID year, had not pitched much the last three years. So he was a a grad assistant um, who hadn't had a year of eligibility left. They were short of arms because oftentimes you play those midweek, non-conference games, they're kind of all-staff days. If your starter gets you four or five, you feel great about it. Well, he goes out there and starts throwing dimes. And, and like, the the only example I could think about it in Major League Baseball – was Jose Rio in 2002, when everybody had kind of given up on Jose ever pitching in the major league baseball? He goes out there with scar tissue and rattles off like five consecutive wins. Um, it, it, it's, it's The the other example I'll give you in college basketball, Greg Tonigle, that now has built this wonderful program in Indiana Wesleyan. Greg kind of did that one year at Valparaiso, where he was he was basically a graduate assistant. But still had eligibility left. It kind of gotten through injuries. And they trot him out the last month of the year. And he starts knocking down threes to beat IUPUI in a game. So, I've seen it a couple of times, John. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah,
0: Lane Miller, by the way, from Boonville High School down in Warwick County. And and
1: John, I believe he is still committed. He is going to do the military postgraduate thing. So I think that even though he may have a future in baseball that might make him want to change that, his plan, I think, is to go to the Naval Academy uh, after the season is over
0: with. That's incredible. What a great story that is right there. I, I had not known that. Has, has anybody written or covered that as a story? That is pretty interesting. The-
1: if you're the folks in Terre Haute, have it. I'm not going to lie. I pitched it to a couple of our columnist buddies. I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle sure. of, of the uh, of the NFL draft. And now that we're month of May in Indianapolis. But believe me, if they keep winning, that story will get more traction regionally and nationally, too.
0: So, Greg Raystraw via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, we're seeing some of these, and he had a lot of really good positions basketball head coaching-wise for the fellas open. And we see some of these seats are being filled here recently, don't we?
1: Yeah, basically locally all the seats have been taken. So you've got Jeff Teague at Pike, which obviously is a big deal. Uh, I believe it's official that Joe Bradbird's leaving Greenwood to go to Mount Vernon again. Um, because of how young that team was this year, that's going to be a really good job to have the next couple of years. And that place continues to grow. It's a really good job to have. Bill Zick's retirement lasted about six weeks, uh, as, or maybe two months, as, as he is now back at Southport. Mark McFarland took the Perry job. The Franklin Central job is open, but again, it is largely speculative. That's where Mark James is going to go back uh, to finish out his legendary career. Chris Byers is back at Warren Central. So uh, a, a lot of familiar <laughs> names and faces just kind of, uh, you know, moving spots. I also want to mention Phil Washington taking the job at Lawrence Central. He was on the staff the last couple of years for Al Gooden. But for the most part, um, most of those seats locally have now been filled up in high school boys' suits.
0: Hey, Greg, you grew up in Harrison County, Lanesville, yeah. southern Indiana. You grew up a fan of Louisville Cardinal sports and especially basketball. And we get the news of the passing of Denny Crum, the former coach, the legendary coach earlier today. What did he mean to you and Cardinal fans?
1: I have a letter somewhere at home from where I had applied to be a ball boy uh, back in the sixth grade at the University of Louisville, but it would have meant me not playing basketball, basically. And so I said, you know what? I need to go do this and and not go be a ball boy. Uh, I wanted to put off my days of being at sporting events but not actually playing uh, as long as possible. But he wrote me a very courteous note. Um, I never had any direct interaction with him. I, I have with other members of his staff. Guys like Scotty Davenport, who's now obviously the head coach of Bellarmine, was on his staff at U L. Jerry Jones, that was on his staff at U L. My closest connection to him is Todd Howard, uh, the longtime boys coach for Buff, the former IUPUI head coach. Todd played for Denny in the early 90s at the University of Louisville. And one of the next negative words you'll hear about Denny, which is it, not going to happen today, but it'll be his first. Uh, and I made it a point to read Rick Bozich's work uh, on WDRB.com in Louisville because Rick's career in covering Denny, you know, Denny was in Louisville for 51, 52 years. Rick has been there now for the last 40. Uh, and the thing that Rick chose to wrote about today was the fact that Denny stayed, that when Denny first got there in 1972, it was thought, hey, he is simply taking this job as a holding pattern. And because of the success that he has had, whenever John Wooden walks away from UCLA, Danny will be the guy that takes over. Well, he turned that opportunity down so many times because he made Louisville his home for the last quarter century. So, you know, I, I, I could literally think of the John D. Steakhouse, steakhouse commercial, which aired all the time in Louisville, and the tagline was, it's almost as good as beating Memphis State. Um Denny was a legend and when you in in the eighties when you think of the coaches here in Indianapolis, you think of the commercials with Bob Knight, Digger Phelps, yeah. and Gene Jean- Eighty in Louisville. Those commercials were Denny Crum and Joe B. Hall. Those were the guys that were the iconic figures, both of them having won national championships. So um, I, I didn't know that Denny was in as failing of health as he was. Other thing, John, that might resonate with you is after Denny's thirty-plus year career coaching, Denny did a talk show for many years with Joe B. Hall in Louisville radio, and it, and it was very popular and very widely successful. So simply put, Denny Crum was a heck of a basketball coach, but is an even better man, and, and that is. They lost, it's going to be felt for a long time in the city of Louisville.
0: I was thinking, at least in the decade of the 80s, 1980, 1986, what year was the best for Denny Crum of Louisville basketball?
1: You know, their best team, people will tell you, oftentimes the best team doesn't win. A lot of folks felt their best team was 83, uh, and that was the team that ran into five Slamma Jamma. Uh, That was the last game that Houston team won in the semifinals. Uh, because Louisville was the team that didn't try to slow it down on, on Houston. So that's the way we played, too. Let's go and got beat 94-81. Um, you know, the 80 team that won it was a two-seed. There was no one-seed that were there. In the Final Four that year, the last time Purdue made it, obviously, here in Indianapolis and Market Square. Uh, in 86, Louisville was the one seed. They were thought to be the second best team behind Duke and beat Duke that night because Purvis Ellison was so good as a freshman. So every year in the 80s was a great year for U of L, with the exception of the 87 team that missed the tournament and turned down an NIT bid. Um, That team, after losing Milt Wagner and Jeff Hall and Billy Thompson, even with Purvis Ellis, it just couldn't replicate what the 86 team was. Every other team in that run um, were nationally ranked and were teams that made deep runs in the NCAA tournament.
0: Can you name each team in the old Metro Conference? Well, let's see. If
1: I can name um, Virginia Tech, Memphis State, Florida State, Yes. Lane, yep. um, then you had some turnover, Southern Miss was always a part of it, right. uh, kind of late you would bring in VCU, South Florida um, in, in their first kind of Division I burst w- w- was in the Metro. Um, but uh, that was... I mean, the Metro was designed to be a 7 or 18 league. Yeah. So L could go play a great non-conference schedule. That's exactly how that league was was, was designed. And of course, people don't know or maybe in this area, that the Metro kind of dissolved in 93-94 to go to make Conference USA. And that was kind of the start of the Metro. So I had better make sure I include the University of Cincinnati in yeah. that group too.
0: You better. No doubt about that. Greg Rakestraw on the passing of legendary coach Denny Crum earlier today, the head coach for so many years at Louisville. Greg's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Greg, it is always a pleasure, and uh, we'll uh, do it again coming up next Tuesday. And Mitch Hanna's again coming up tomorrow, the head coach of Indiana State. So should be an interesting conversation now that you gave me that tidbit.
1: <laughs> Please tell Coach I said hello and go trees. You got it, buddy. Thanks, Greg.